Go where you really feel a curiosity or a connection. And I don't like the word should. I think the word should messes up our lives. There are times we should take the garbage out and we should call our mom because I didn't call my mom yesterday, so I should call her today. But I think should is often um, the wrong intention. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast, your source of inspiration as you begin or continue on your journey of giving a damn about the people and places around you. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and we have a wonderful show for you today. If you're listening to this podcast when it comes out, I will have just returned from a short trip to Honduras with my friends at World Vision. I'm still recovering from the trip, hanging out with my family, and getting stuff done. But next week, I'll have more to share about what happened during the trip and what will happen in the coming months as a result. Okay, today I'm joined on the podcast by my friend, Ann Mann. Anne is from Winnipeg, Manitoba. She is a wife, mother, author, humanitarian, and an all-around damn giver. She has spent many years of her life serving so many people through volunteer opportunities and so much more. In the last few years, she has authored two books that we'll talk about more in our conversation titled Redemption, Stories of Hope, Resilience, and Life After Gangs, and The Lucky Ones, African Refugees' Stories of Extraordinary Courage. I think that's how you say it. Refugees? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, we're going to talk about those in our conversation. I'm so excited for many people to listen to this conversation, but especially stay-at-home parents. Here's why. I know that she'll inspire you. And hear me, I don't want you to compare yourself to Anne. Please don't feel guilt as you listen to Anne and she speaks of all she's done. Anne's kids are a little bit older now. If you have younger kids, you won't be getting as much done as Anne is doing right now, but the little kid days won't always be around, and there will come a day when you'll get to decide how you'll spend your time, more of your time, who you'll serve, and what opportunities you'll make time for. Enough talking from me. Let's get right into the show. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with author and humanitarian Anne Mann. I am so thrilled to be here with my new friend, Anne Mann. Anne, how are you? I'm great, Nick. How, how are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. We've, we've, this has been a long time coming. We've been trying to do this for a while. Um, and here we are. We're ready, ready to rock and roll, ready to do it. Great. You're, you're in Winnipeg, is that correct? Yes, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And if I'm not mistaken, from left to where you are, because uh, I used to live near Seattle, so directly above us is British Columbia, uh, and then is it Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan, yep. and then Winnipeg? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, we're we're yeah. just north of Minneapolis, but yeah, you got your Canadian geography great. Okay, great. I've spent a little bit of time in Winnipeg. Has that been home all your life? That was. It's been home for all of my life except for three years when we lived in a different province. Um, okay. But Canada, so Canada as a whole has been home. Yes, it sure has. Okay. Well, let's just, let's, let's go from there and let's dive right back into your background. I always love to begin, if I can, I love to begin by giving the listeners and by giving me, because this is the first time I've heard a lot of your story. Just give us some context for who you are and what are the people, places, and things that made you uh, who you are today and that really kind of shaped 
the kinds of things you would go on to do in your life. So give as little or as much as you want of that story, but kind of take us from there to before you wrote the books, some of the books that we're going to talk about, which I'm super excited about, a lot, even a lot of the volunteer work and stuff that you do, take us all the way up to that point, and then we'll dive in a little deeper. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Nick. Um, so you asked me about what's shaped me as a person. Um, I grew up my entire life, other than a couple of years, in this quiet, humble prairie city of Winnipeg in central Canada, um, a place that I really love and realized how much I love when I didn't live here for a short period of time, but also a place that I tend to defend. It's a humble city. It's um, Mm. not got a lot of pizzazz, although, you know, we do have the Winnipeg Jets. We have a a great cultural and arts center. We have very cold winters. And um, the people here, I find, are really what's one of the big contributing factors to shaping my life because... um, a lot of people come here and they stay or they, they were born here and they stay. And uh, it's just, there's a great prairie practicality to Winnipeg. People are very grounded. Um, it's easy to get around in our city. There's also in Winnipeg, a lot of interesting um, sort of a mix of geographies. So we'll have like kind of a, some lower income, more transient communities, and th- those will be adjacent to communities which have um, maybe a, a higher average per capita income. So there's a kind of a patchwork, if you will. And everywhere you go in Winnipeg, if you travel around the city, you have the chance to see a lot of different people living a lot of different lives. We have a large Indigenous population in Winnipeg who were the people who started this country and 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 founded this country in Canada, or not founded it, but were the originators here and shared it so kindly with all of us immigrants. And we also have a large immigrant population in Winnipeg, um, people that have come from many different backgrounds. And so those are, so that's a bit about where I live, because where I live really affects me. I grew up in a very middle-class home, um, mom that stayed home, dad that, uh, you know, worked a sales commission job, and um I'm in my early 50s, so I've been around around the bend at least once anyway. Um, <laughs> and I was really good at math as a kid. Um, I also liked fashion. I had a hard time trying to decide what to do after high school. And after a little bit of jumping around, went into university and um, ended up with a, an undergrad in apparel, marketing of apparel and textiles with a minor in business, went to work in the garment industry Loved that for its creative abilities, but um, also felt like a bit of an outsider there. And from there, I had my first child. Um, I loved being a mom. That's been a a very important part of my life. I have three children who are all in their early 20s now. And ended up moving to a different province, staying at home with my kids during that phase of life. And then um, moving back to Winnipeg, which I was thrilled about. And coming to a point when my youngest son was in grade one, thinking like, now what, I have extra time on my hands. Um, Yes, I like to work out. I like to play tennis. I like to do yoga. I like to cook. But I also want, I want more. I want um, Mm. connections with people. I want to get up in the morning and feel like I have a purpose. And as much as I love my children, I want that purpose to be outside of my children, Mm. because I want to, at the end of the day, meet at the dinner table and have lots to talk about. 
um, with my family. So I was really searching for what I would do next. And I considered going back to university, doing some retraining. I, I didn't consider going back to the garment industry. Um, and uh, I am a person who does pray. And in prayer, I received the phrase, we have enough educated people. And that doesn't mm. mean that people shouldn't go to university. That just means sure. what, how I interpreted that, that was that for me, that's not what was ahead for me. So that was fine. I, I'm open-minded. Anyway, I, I, I did take a writing course in a woman's home. It was um, 30 weeks long once a week. It was a great way to uh, do some writing to explore my own life and how I, I viewed my life growing up, how I saw things. And um, from writing that, from that, I, I, I've always had such a curiosity about people. I just love people. Mm. And it came to me that for this period of time when I'd lived in another city, it came to me how hard it would be to be a refugee. There I was, I was speaking the English language, I had a car, I had, um, you know, financial means, I, I could just kind of drop into this community, which was this second city I was living in in Canada, and I felt so lonely and I really felt alone and like I, I kind of didn't matter to anybody other than, of course, my family and the few friends I had met. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what would it be like? Uh, could I imagine being new to Canada, not knowing the language mm. or being very, um, you know, self-conscious as I spoke? What if I didn't have a car? What if I didn't have family? And from there, I became very curious about, about refugees. I knew one refugee, a guy, really nice guy from Sudan I'd met named Akeem. And he had told us about his life. And so all of these things kind of came together at this time in my life. My children were in school. I was looking for something meaningful to do with my time. And, and then I, it all kind of uh, broke apart or broke open, I'll say when I had a vision one night and it was, it was a mystical vision. Um, mm -hmm. It was new to me. I, I'd never had one before and nor have I had one since, but it was very real. And uh, there was a bunch of things leading up from the night before, but I woke up in the morning and in my first waking moment, I woke and had this vision of a book. The book was, uh, multiple stories of African refugees. It had photography and it was written in the first person. And the point about the first person will be really important a little later on. I didn't understand the significance of it at the time. Sure. And I mean, I had this experience. It was very deep. It was extremely real. As I, as I've said, and I started to cry. I just kind of had a little cry in the, mm. in my bed. And then I was like, well, what even was that? So, in the end, I decided to write that book that I had a vision of. It was a huge leap. It was a leap of faith. I love to read, but I really don't have any training as a writer. Hmm. And that leap of faith is a leap, Nick, that changed my life. I'm so excited to get to that point. I'm very excited to have you talk about these books. Before we get there, though, can I go back a little bit and ask you a couple questions? Sure. Great. So I hear a ton of empathy in your voice, even just the way you described where you live, right? You you said something that I wish more people 
Uh, you know, I live in the U.S. right now. I was born here, spent most of my life not here, but this is, you know, where I was born. These are my people. Um, it's something that a lot of people, a lot more people should approach the subject and, 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 and say the things that you said when you were describing uh, how, you know, the, I think, in, is it in Canada? Do they call them the, do you guys call Indians the First Nations people? Is that correct? Yeah, there's a few terms. Um, today, the most widely used term is Indigenous, but First Nations okay. is also appropriate as well. Okay, okay. Just the idea of like, they were here first, right? Like, like you said, they, they let us come live among them. They let us come live on their, on their land. And that's something that Americans by and large don't, they know, right? If they've had any, any education whatsoever, they know, but even a lot of our history books, like when I was growing up in elementary school, the story of how we came here and took over, that was not communicated clearly. Um, you know, it was communicated as more like, you know, that we came over and shook hands yeah. and gave hugs and then had, you know, the first Thanksgiving supper together when that was not it, there was murder and rape <laughs> and pillaging and plundering. And it was just, it was a terrible thing that we did. Right. And still the, the fact that we don't recognize so much of what, what happened and who these amazing people are, um, all that to say is like when you were communicating where you live and the kinds of, you know, people, the different kinds of demographics there. And, um, I just, I heard empathy. I heard, and before even getting into your books and your, the different things that you volunteer in and the ways that you serve other people before even getting to that, what do you attribute that empathy and that, like that love for people and care for people? What do you attribute that to? Was that, did, did your parents instill that into you? Was that a, a teacher or did you have to go through different experiences to really learn the value of people and the value of, um, yeah, just being very careful. Because again, I just noticed even a little bit, like the words that you chose and the way that you said things, it was just very honoring and very, you know, people centric, right? So what do you attribute that to? Does that question make sense? I know I rambled on for a second there. It's a great question. And I'm just swimming around in my head, trying to think about the answer. Um, I know for sure that Part of my empathy comes just from just somewhere from deep within me that is in my DNA or somewhere um, deeply held. Mm. But it also comes for sure from an experience in in my grade five year at school, which is the experience of having been bullied. Mm. And uh, grade five was a really hard year for me. There was a new girl. She came to our classroom. We had this nice little classroom. I had friends, all was well, you know, I'd never, I had, didn't have any hardships. We'll put it that way. Mm. I was a good solid student. And, you know, I, even then I recall including her in, you know, some friend related things, whatever you do in grade five, things at recess and so forth. And I remember thinking like there's space for a new friend and, um, she went, we, we all took a break at Christmas break. And when I came back in January, I came back to a completely different environment. And within a couple of weeks of returning to the school year in January, really most of the females in my class were, were turned against me. And it took me a while to figure out what was happening. I just didn't even understand. And it was really this um, this new girl that had started in the fall who I had befriended. And I couldn't 
for the life of me understand it. When I think of that time now, I know that many people have suffered many greater hardships than I suffered when I was bullied in grade five. But I can tell you that for me, it was really difficult. I'm kind of a sensitive person. And so it was, I didn't have a strong backbone. I did not develop a strong backbone from it either. It took me years, years. I saw myself differently. And it's, and it wasn't probably until my 30s and into my 40s that I started to see myself free of that, hmm. how that experience had affected me. And if you ask me why it happened, I've, I've asked myself that. The only thing I can say is sometimes people that are nice get targeted because they make other people uncomfortable. Yep. And there was something in my niceness that maybe what maybe I seemed weak, maybe I seemed vulnerable, maybe I seemed like somebody easy to take down. And frankly, I probably was because it lasted so long in my life. But that really shaped me, Nick, and it certainly ended up shaping my junior high and my high school years as well. That's fascinating because it's it's so funny that that was the story, right, in your grade five, as you said, because my daughter right now is in kindergarten, our oldest daughter. She just turned six, and she is... I, 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 as you described how you were as a, as a little girl, uh, I'm, I'm hearing and seeing just this picture of my daughter, right? She's six. She's so kind. Um, so empathetic. Like she got the, you know, in the first like semester of, of kindergarten, they give out these awards and whatever. And she won all of the people awards, mm -hmm. like most kind, mm -hmm. most helpful, all this stuff. And right now she's dealing with, um, uh, a little girl uh, named Paris, who is the cutest little thing, very kind when I have gone to school to eat lunch with them and whatever, but apparently she's bullying her. And and they've already got like teachers, like they're trying to, you know, navigate it very carefully. But it's, my daughter is really, it's, she's really struggling with it because she's very kind. And I don't know if, I don't know if this was part of your personality or not, but she's very kind, very helpful, but she also has a high, she she wants to be she wants to be approved by everyone, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So right now, part of it I think is just genuine empathy for people in love, and part of it is she is trying to please people, right? And I think that can be shaped and molded. And we're trying to, you know, we can't force her, you know, as a parent, you know this very well. We can't force our kids to do stuff, but we can point them in a direction, right, and say that's good, like that's yes. what you need to go after. So that's what we're trying to do right now because I hope that what we're hoping right is that a similar thing that happened to you that that this will be a defining moment in her life because what we're trying to communicate to her is like you know we know some of Par Paris's home life and we know that it's not easy we know you know we're, we're in a diverse area in Nashville one of the only left and she's one of my daughter even though she has a lot of hispanic latino in her background um she's one of three two or three white kids in her class of 19. The rest are, you know, uh, black, Hispanic, Hmong, and a couple others. And so she's having to like navigate this stuff for the first time in her life. Um, and there's this bullying situation where I 100% believe that Paris is targeting my daughter because Solis is kind and she's generous and she's giving and like you said it, it, i think I, I believe solas has a target on her head right now because she's not like some of the other kids that will either ignore her or be mean right back like solas isn't that way so 
anyway, I'm just, I, I'm kind of in a weird way. You yeah. telling that story, I'm encouraged because what you're ending up doing in your life is what we want Solace to kind of get out of this, out of this season of her life that, you know, she can internalize a lot of this and not talk about it, not communicate about it. It could turn into bitterness. It could turn, it could turn her into something terrible, or she can take it and use it for her benefit, right? As she grows and matures as a little girl. Um, so anyway, I'm encouraged by that. Yeah. One of the lasting things for me from being bullied was the wrongful belief that I did not belong. Mm. And that wrongful belief of did, of not belong, which I know now isn't true, hmm. is one of the things that drew me to refugees and draws me to people who are on the fringe and in the yeah. disempowered communities because Maybe I now know in my early 50s that I do belong, but for a long time I wondered. Or I felt I belonged some places, but not others. And I'm pretty intuitive, so I can sense things at times. And so sometimes things that are really hard can be used for good, but they're still hard. <laughs> yeah. So I think of Solace, and I think yes. of Paris, and mm. I think of what yep. they each need. They're young, so they have, you know, they're developing as little people. Yep. Anyway, yeah. it's, yeah, I, f I feel it. it. It did end up offering me, it offered me some kind of information that I used for good later. Hmm. Well, I hope that for my daughter as well. I really do. Thanks for sharing yeah. that that story. Um, okay, let's talk about your books. I'm very excited about this. You have uh, two books. You can talk about them in order, out of order. You started to talk about uh, your first one, which was published in 2013, I think. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, okay. it is. It's called The Lucky Ones, African Refugee Stories of Extraordinary Courage. Yes. So tell us about that. You said these are stories that are being told in the first person. How did you find these stories? And, and I also want you to hit on this as you, um, actually start, start there. And then I'll bring out another piece of the book that I know about that people that haven't read them don't know about, but just start, how did you get the stories? How did you go about navigating those relationships as you pull the stories out of people? Yeah, thanks. Sure. Um, so from this vision, I decided I, I would write this book, although I really did not know what I was doing. Um, but that's okay. There's lots sure. of times we don't know what we're doing, but we can still do it. But there is a certain kind of humility in that, we'll call it. Um, somebody gave me great advice and said, don't lead with your ego, just let this organically happen. So I spent a, a year and a half just chatting with people. I used to be in sales, so I'd call people up, ask them for half an hour of their time, bring some coffee, pick their brains about refugees, about writing, about interviewing. Um, and from there, over time, I, I probably did about 55 or 60 coffee interviews, coffee chit-chats with people, we'll call it. I read a ton of books on refugee stories. And I mostly, I was so shocked, I mostly found them boring. They were academic, they weren't personal, they weren't written in the first person. And there were very few that I found really engaging. And I wanted the book to feel, or these, these stories, personal stories, to feel like talking to somebody on the bus or talking to somebody in your lunchroom at work where you just said, hey, hey, where are you from? Oh, yeah, like, what's that like for you? Like, how are you finding it here? And, you know, those, just that sort of um, inquisitiveness. So after I had had these coffee chats with about 55 or 60 people, 
I did have a good size list of people who might be appropriate participants in the book. Some I had met already and they said, oh, you could interview me. Or some I had asked if I could interview them. One wonderful guy who's from Somalia and he said, oh, my, my wife doesn't really want me to be in the book, but I, I think you should meet my best friend. Well, hmm. his name is Muhi Adam and he was the first story and the... Yes. Um, has become a close friend of mine and uh, is just such an upstanding guy. So I kind of meandered along. I'd, I'd hear about somebody, I'd meet them. I'd ask somebody that might be a participant for the book. I'd, I, we'd have coffee as well. And I'd ask them, you know, are you interested in, um, in being part of the book? I never pushed people because I feel that people should only they'll be, if they feel ready to share and if the time is right for them, then they will, uh, you know, be comfortable with the project. And that I just had a faith that I would find people if I needed them as I as went along. So in the end, the book has 17 stories. There's one couple, so there's 18 people in the book from about, I don't know, 13 or 14 different African countries, some men, some women. And um, they're beautiful stories. And part of what kind of Mm, I'd say it comes to the forefront of this book is um, gratitude for living here, Edu- the, the importance of education, wanting to be part of the community, fully integrated. So, so my Somali friend just doesn't, doesn't want to just hang out with his Somali friends from his community. He wants to hang out and get right. to know his non-Somali Canadian friends. And just a, a wisdom from people that have struggled and had to be so resilient and who have really given up everything, everything, all their money, their, their jobs. Many parents come here, you know, they were doctors or lawyers and they, there's nothing the matter with having a more service oriented, lower paying job, but they've had to given up what was their dream for their lives to have safety. They've fled. They've had family members die. And wow, what that taught me about, I mean, you can't get up in the morning and be mad that your coffee maker doesn't work when you've just the night before spent time with somebody who's living in a little apartment and and had three family members die in Africa. So uh, my life was greatly influenced. So um, the second book, which just came out in November of 2017, is called Redemption, Stories of Hope, Resilience, and Life After Gangs. After I read, wrote my first book, I, I, it was a, a life-changing experience. It was new skills. I loved working on it. I love the creative process. I love people, as I've said. I was like, well, I don't know. Am I going to write another? Like It was almost like, is, my, is this it or is there more? And I decided there had to be more. And so over some time and some consideration of what to write about and through reading an amazing book called Tattoos on the Heart by Father Greg Boyle, who has spent 30 years in Los Angeles with um, communities affected by gangs. I read his book and it made me think, what what, we have a, a pretty strong gang population in Winnipeg, even though we're a smaller city. And I thought, gee, I wonder if people have left gangs. I wonder if we could have stories about people who left gangs. I want to meet a person who's left a gang and is, is re, you know, kind of reorienting their life. And so this book is the story of uh, stories of eight men and one woman of 
different, all kinds of different mixed backgrounds. We have a, a large number of Indigenous street gangs in Winnipeg. So five of the people in the book are Indigenous, two are Caucasian, one is Asian, and one is African-Canadian. And they each talk about what it's been like to mostly be poor, have addiction, be incarcerated, be judged for sure, want to leave the gang, and how do they get out? And once they're out, how do they uh, how do they live day to day? Probably in a community where their ex gang members are just down the street, or at the yeah. McDonald's close by, or driving around giving them funny looks. It's like, what do you mean you're out of the gang? And how do you crack an addiction? That's a whole other uh, challenge. Mm. And man, these people are strong. And I just loved writing this second book. And so that's where I'm at. I am writing a third. We can talk about that after. But boy, I've just loved the process and met so many people that informed me about life. I didn't know that you're writing a third, which which I'm excited. If, if, if there's any details you can share with us, I'm happy to, to uh, yeah, I, I want to hear about it. Before we get there, so both of your, here's one thing I found super interesting is you are donating all the proceeds from these books. You know, most authors write books so they can live, right? They write books so they can make money and live, you know, in depending on who they are and how widespread their influence is, it may pay all the bills or some of the bills, but they need money from it, right? To, to live. And you have chosen to donate all the proceeds to different organizations. First yes. of all, why? <laughs> and second of all, who, where's the money going and why did you choose those organizations? But first talk about like, yeah, take, take me into your head, into your heart. Why, why would why would you do that? Because you're already doing a service to people by sharing these stories, and I'm sure people are being influenced and helped, and their empathy is growing, and their love for people is growing. So why not make a little money from it? Well, thanks, firstly, for highlighting the fact that the proceeds are donated. It's um, an integral part of, of the books. Mm. I felt that for everybody has to figure things out for themselves. But for me, mm-hmm. I'm fortunate. We have a lot of financial stability in our household, and um, we do not need the funds from this book to pay our rent. Mm. So firstly, I'm extremely fortunate. Um, for me, I felt that I felt that it would be best to donate the money back to assisting the community, just the community in general, not specifically the participants, but the community from which they come. So in The Lucky Ones, uh, the the author proceeds go back to two organizations. One is a great organization in Winnipeg called Seed. And Seed has micro lending for and patience loans for people who oh, can't get loans conventionally. And so that money is going to the African community for long-term payback if they want to start a business or something, a home-based business, for example. As well, with the importance and significance of education in the lives of refugees and newcomers, the other half of the author proceeds are going to an inner-city university, we call it, same as college in the States, called the University of Winnipeg, which has uh, entrance bursaries for uh, students who are of African background or whose parents were refugees themselves. 
So that's the first book. The second book, the money is going to uh, an organization called GAIN. That stands for Gang Action Interagency Network. And it's a group of 180 uh, like different people who are working in agencies and uh, in the government and in justice very closely with gang-affiliated people who came together wanting to work on the the gang issue in Winnipeg and offer mentoring and offer 24-hour uh, safe space for those who want to leave gangs and want to change their lives. And so the money's going there. And um, I'm really pleased about that. I will say for me, and I guess it's because I didn't need the money from the books for rent, I felt I felt funny about profiting from other people's stories. Mm. I am so grateful to all of these participants for trusting me. That seems like a mini miracle in itself, that they would trust somebody they don't know and decide, sure, I'll share my story with you. And sure, I'll, you know, I'll let you do what you will with it in a book. Um, now, they do see their stories and they sign off on them. And if they want to change one word or pages in their stories, they do that. So, th- so they have a lot of control. It's not like a media interview where you tell it and then it comes back and it feels right. different. They, they approved everything in these books. But, um, but back to the point of the, the philanthropic comp, uh, component, I just felt that it would maybe help them to feel good about what they're doing to know that this, this book is, each of these books is raising money to go back to what's been something integral in the participants lives i love that so third book i didn't know you were coming out with one what's what's that all about what can you tell us about it well i'm really excited about it because it's just like the baby that's being born but it's not very far in i'm just in the research stage um so i'm gonna do women's stories next and they're stories of women who grew up in what we would call the foster care or the child welfare system and spent a substantial part of their early years in that um, foster care system and then have somehow come out through the other end with some degree of triumph or stability. Hmm. Um, Success is a bit of a touchy word for me because I met one woman who's a university professor and she's done really well. I've met another woman who's able to parent her own child breaking the cycle of foster care and is, um, you know, in her 20s and has a lot of her life left ahead. So so I think the stories will probably have kind of a spectrum of, of what success would be, but definitely for each um, a story of, of triumph in some way. And I'm really excited about it. Um, I live in a city where there's a lot of Indigenous people, and in Canada, we are talking about the missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada, Hmm. women that have become vulnerable, often due to the sex industry, often due to um, poverty, and so these are are triumphant stories that can show some 14-year-old girl in a group home that I'm, I'm hoping that there's life somewhere after the after the group home Mm, i love that so what's the timeline for that it'll be a couple of years because i'm still just in early research phases like mm, 18 probably maybe like 2020 by the time it's published got it but i think it's going to be good i'm already hearing amazing stuff that just sort of drops my jaw and makes me think wow i want to read this book that's awesome not just write it but i want to read it too 
<laughs> that that must be a really good feeling, right? That you're already just seeing at least the idea and the vision take take fo- form, right? It's being formed, and yeah. that's really cool. Well, I'm I will be, you know, one of the first to read it. I'm very excited about that, even though it's a couple years out. In a, in a couple minutes, I want you to share. I want you to share some advice, some wisdom with those listening that want to give a damn, right? Before we get there, though, I want to highlight, as we're still just talking about the ways that you give a damn, um, I want to highlight some of your volunteer experience because I think it, it, and I'll just name off a few. You can add commentary if you want, but w- what I'm trying to do is more for the listener right now. Um, sure. You know, for people that have, and again, you you have noted that not everybody has the same situation you do. In fact, that's it's rare. But you see the rarity in it, and you see the 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 privilege and the 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 blessing. You know, the blessings that you've experienced in your life, and you're saying, okay, I have the space and margin in my life to do these things. I'm going to do them. And so that's kind of what I want to highlight real quickly. And so I just want to read off a couple of the things that I, that I know about you. Um, you're, you're a fundraiser committee member for United Way of Winnipeg, founding board member for Humankind International, a member of UNICEF Canada. And, you know, I want to note here that you were supposed to be on a trip last week to Ethiopia, correct? With UNICEF Canada. Is that correct? Yeah, I was. And it got, uh, canceled last minute. Um, what exactly, what, could you briefly tell me what's going on over there that, that, you know, the trip sure. had to be canceled yeah. last minute? Yeah, we were going a group of us with UNICEF Canada to look at some programs they're working on that are, um, in Ethiopia that we're looking at birth registry. So if kids are registered and have birth certificates, they have a very progressive uh, program in Ethiopia regarding child marriage. So you can't get married there till you're 18. But if you don't have a birth a birth certificate, you don't have proof of your age. So we were going over to look at those programs. Um, and just two days prior to the plan to leave, um, the Ethiopian president surprisingly resigned. And then an hour before I was to leave for the airport, uh, UNICEF wisely called off the trip. Sure. The reasoning was that UNICEF in Ethiopia felt it was unsafe. There's military control in the country right now, but not um, government control, if you will. There is, you know, protests and things. The borders are not are not safe, but n- many borders are not safe in Africa, uh, in many countries. And um, we were going to a couple of major cities, but we were also going rurally. And the decision was just that it could turn on a dime and yeah. not be safe. Yeah. And I have to tell you that the, I mean, I, I was really disappointed, and I, sure. I can, as as anybody would understand. But what it really did was remind me that I take peace for granted, mm, and that as sure. disappointed I might be as a you know a North American woman going on a trip I really wanted to go on. There's people living there every day. And so I'm just hoping and praying that there is always more peace. And especially in Ethiopia right now, um, I really hope to visit someday. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're safe. And, and so in addition to the things that I just read off in the past, you've been a mentor, uh, you mentored leaders from marginalized communities uh, you have been a volunteer in English classes with newcomer adults, which is super important for immigrants coming to our country. Uh, hospice companion, so many things that I think are when when I when I when I see those things, I think you know that's a life well lived, right? 
Like that, that's, that's what's so exciting to me is that's the kind of life that I have lived and want to continue living and want to show my children and do alongside my wife is Mm -hmm. like pursuing money, pursuing fame, pursuing all these things. They're so temporal. They're so, there's enough. All you have to do is look on, you know, social media, the news, whatever, to see how short term and how not fulfilling those things are and time mm-hmm. after time after time after time we have way more examples of people that didn't pursue those things and not if they come that's great use it for good i'm not saying we avoid you know making money and doing well in, in our business in our career whatever but but people that focus on you focusing on people focusing on serving people that's a life well lived that's the that's the kind of life that is truly exciting and one that on your, if you continue this and, and I don't want to get ahead in our conversation, if you continue this, you know, on your deathbed, you know, long, long, you know, years and years, 30, 40, 50 years away, you will not have any regrets. Right. And that's the point. Yeah. I will tell you, I'm going to digress for a second. Sure. Um, on the day of my 50th birthday, I woke up in the morning. I often have a little quiet time when I wake up and I sat and meditated on on my death. This is going to sound, some people will be like, Oh my goodness. (laughs) I, I saw a funeral. I saw my life before me. It sure makes you think good things about turning 50. Yeah. (laughs) I I just, I had a great day. I loved my birthday. Um, and I felt so thankful. Oh my God. And, and so I have spent a little time thinking about a life well lived yeah. and I'm, and I'm a, I'm a pretty happy person, which yeah. I'm extremely grateful for. And part of it is because every day I get up and I mean, I, you know, I have problems like everybody else, your car doesn't start or, you know, you have a disagreement with somebody, Sure, but I really through volunteering and, and through these books now as well. I connect. I connect with people on a really deep level, and that's very satisfying. Mm. I love my volunteering. And to me, one of the the craziest things about volunteering, and you have to find, this is assuming you have the right match of volunteer to, to volunteer job, that it's this mystery that when you volunteer and you give time of yourself that you could be doing whatever you wanted, I come away feeling like I'm the fortunate one. Like I had the best couple of hours. Like it made a difference in my life to, to serve, to be part of something, to connect, to make a difference. And I think that that's been very fulfilling for me. Mm. So it's kind of this, this uh, paradox because you could, you're giving away your time, but you're getting something so much more back. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. And I have a question at the end that I'll draw out a little more of your, um, of your, impending deathbed, even though it's a long, long ways away, hopefully. Um, The people listening to this podcast, we're going to begin to land the plane here a few more minutes. The people listening to this podcast, and I hear from them all the time today, several times so far today, people have, you know, encouraged me and just said how the, 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 the podcast and the work that we're doing is affecting their lives. So the people listening to this podcast are people that truly want to live a life well-lived. They want to give a damn. They want to stop caring about things that don't matter. They want to love the people, places, and things around them. They want to expand their worldview, right? These are all, these are the people that are listening right now. And so if there are people listening that are still sitting on their ass that don't, haven't like, they know what they want to do, but they're making excuses and they're not quite there, right? They have all these desires, but they haven't quite jumped, you know, 
oh, uh, you know, jumped overboard right into this ocean of giving a damn. What would you say to them right now? Just two or three pieces of wisdom. It, it can be anything, things that you've learned, just straight up pieces of advice, quotes that you live by. Um, what would you communicate to them right now about what's on the other side of giving a damn? Well, I think that it's a great way to wake up your life. Is, is if you give a damn, you look left, you look right, you become more engaged. Mm. And so it's a great way to wake up your life. Um, now that's the result of it. How do you do it? What do you do? Mm, I think firstly, starting small. There Anytime you, you start with some big grandiose idea, I, I mean, good can come from all things, good for ourselves, good for others. But I do think starting small is an organic first step that hopefully will feel natural and uh, feel like it's in the right direction. I think we've all had times where we've overcommitted and or we get fatigued in some way in our lives. I mean, we're just human after all. And so you, you want to try and guard against that. Um, I think a good place to start is what do you deeply desire in your life? Mm. What, what, what really are you curious about or really interested in? If you're not interested in kids, don't go volunteer at the community club. If you are interested in the elderly, go to the nursing home. Like Go mm. where you really feel a curiosity or a connection. And I don't like the word should. I think the word should messes up our lives. There are times we should take the garbage out and we should call our mom because I didn't call my mom yesterday. So I should call her today. But, <laughs> but you know, beyond that, don't, I think should is often um, the wrong intention. Do something because you're, it's drawing you in or you're curious or you notice, I don't know, you notice a group of people that are coming out of um, um, like a soup kitchen and they're laughing and you think, oh, that soup kitchen's just down the block from where I work. I wonder if I'm I wonder if I might like that. I wonder if I might try going. And give yourself permission to volunteer surf. What I mean by that is if you tried it and you didn't really like it, just as long as you haven't made some commitment that's sure. dropping the ball for somebody else, excuse yourself when the time is right and you've given it a fair chance, because there's a million other volunteer things out there to do. And chances are, if you're not really being fed by it, that's not the right fit. And maybe the, the recipients of, of your service aren't being fed in there in a way they need either. So just look for the right fit. And I think people, people generally know, oh, yeah, this feels good. Yeah, I'm liking this. And um, just also try to create balance. Uh, a tired volunteer isn't good for much or a resentful volunteer isn't good for much. Get out, get with your friends, uh, have some fun, um, and just don't feel you, you know, if we all do our part, a lot of good things can happen in the world. We don't have to do it all. We just have to pick something we like and give it a try. That is such solid advice. Um, and thank you for sharing that. You said so many things that I, I would love to talk to you about for hours, but I won't. But I, I, I do want to point out, I think what you said about what is your heart drawn to? What are the what are the things that you really care about, right? Because so many times we, whether it's we want to please someone or it's it's close to us or whatever the case may be, we choose something or some things that we want to give a damn about or that we do give a damn about that we want to like be involved in, whether it's volunteering or a job or a friend or a neighbor, we do it because 
not because it's our heart's desire, but because it's there. And mm -hmm. there are times when we should do that. I keep money and food in my car for when I pass homeless people that I really, mm -hmm. that I want to help out, right? Like there, there are always things we're going to run into that we should address and take care of, right? But long-term, really just quieting down long enough to, to, to hear our, our, our body, our spirit, our soul, depending, depending on what you want to call it, our, our, just quieting down long enough to hear what our what we're saying to ourselves about the things that we're drawn to. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of us just don't quiet down long enough to do that, right? I think that's super important to do that. And so um, that's great advice. Super, super solid. I'm going to have to go uh, listen listen back over and over again on what you share because I think it was just super helpful. Probably me too. I have to listen to it also. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely get it. Okay, so here's the big question. Um, this is a question that every person that I talk to gets at the very end. Um, a lot of the questions in between uh, vary from, you know, from, from conversation to conversation. This one's always at the end because I believe it is the question. It's what I ask myself all the time. It was, it's funny you, you talked about on your 50th birthday, you thought about death. Like I think about, I'm 34. I think about death every day because I believe that it's vital to my success. It's vital to me staying aware and awake. It's vital to me accomplishing the things I need to accomplish, realizing that it could be 70 years down the road, or it could be on my way home today from my commute that, you know, I meet death, right? And so why would I why would I not think about something that could happen 10 minutes from now? I don't get paralyzed by it. I actually get really excited about it. <laughs> not not dying, but just the fact that I get to I get to accomplish something on the earth while I'm here, whether that's 10 minutes from now or, you know, 70 years from now. So the here's someday you're going to die. The hypothetical part of this scenario is that I'm going to give you a eulogy, right? So for some reason, they've asked me um, and all of your uh, friends and your family, the people that you've served, the people you've loved, the people that are in your books, everybody's there. It's a big crowd because you've influenced and touched people's lives and they're all there waiting, waiting for me to speak uh, your eulogy over your life, right? I'm going to talk about your life and your death and your legacy, and they're all waiting on pins and needles to see what I'm going to say. What would you hope that I would say on that day about your life and legacy? Oh, well, I hope you'd say I was a nice person. I think that nice is a funny sort of word, but really, that's a, gr that's a great compliment. Um, I hope that that people who have met me felt that I've been a good listener when I needed to be. And I don't know that we've had some laughs. I'd like that. I'm not the funniest person, but I sure like to laugh. So I hope that that might be part of the eulogy. And that maybe, maybe I've just made a difference in some small way. And I, I hope my books will be a legacy. I think, I think they might be. I'm not saying a big legacy, just, but I do hear that people read them and they understand something a bit better that they didn't understand before. And I've sure loved writing them and who knows whether I'll have three or I'll have 10, but boy, it's been a privilege to listen to people's stories. And I hope that somebody would say that I felt that way at, at my funeral. Mm. I think that's it. I love that. I love and that. And then maybe we could have some really good, like little 
desserts or something. Okay. I love chocolate. I'd like chocolate desserts there. So I'll order some of those. Perfect. <laughs> well, if if I'm if I'm around at that time, I will whether I'm giving your eulogy or not, I'll make sure they have chocolate desserts at your Great. funeral. Excellent. Sounds um, like a good party. Of of course. Yes, it really, really does. Um, right now you have people as they're wrapping up with the conversation, you have their undivided attention. What do you want? What are some calls to action? Do you want them to go um, look at a certain website or buy the books or go follow you on social media? Like what would you like them to go do right here oh, as we wrap up? Okay. Well, um, I do have this trick name, M-A-H-O-N. So um, I have a website, A-N-N-E-M-A-H-O-N dot ca because i'm in canada mm-hmm. and so that's a great way to find me i like to connect with people and and um i try to be very you know kind of very open to things in a general sense of the way things go um my book is my books are very easy to find in canada they're a little harder to find in the states you probably have to order them from your favorite bookstore and Amazon.com probably has them. I know they have the lucky ones for sure because some people in the States have bought it. And uh, smile at your neighbors. That's another call to action. Just Love smile it. at people more. And, um, and thanks for listening out there in listener land. Listener land. Um, let's give a damn family. Try to get these books, whether it's through Amazon or you know contacting Anne. They're, they're fantastic. We all need to be reminded through you know, whether it's, you know, video stories or audio stories, or in this case, you know, reading them in a book, we need to be reminded of how blessed we are, how privileged we are, and then what our responsibility is in that. There are so many people around us every single day that need what we have to offer. Anne has unique things about her that only she can offer. I, same thing, you, the same thing. So if you don't offer it, that person is not going to get it, right? Because that was your thing to offer. So just remember that as you go and 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 heed Anne's last piece of advice, which was to smile and just be be aware of our of our surroundings as we go throughout the day. So Anne, thank you so much for joining me. Hope we can do it again. Everyone else, thank you for being here for listening. And um, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for joining Anne and me for our conversation today. Anne is wonderful, and I hope you learned as much from her as I did. Follow her on Twitter at A-E-M-A-H-O-N. So it sounds like it's saying Mahone, but it's man, A-E-M-A-H-O-N. And check out her website at, again, Anne, A-N-N-E-M-A-H-O-N dot C-A. That's A-N-N-E-M-A-H-O-N dot C-A. And if you want to read her books, and you should because they're fantastic, go ask your local bookstore to order them. Or you can visit her website, send her a note on the contact page, and as she stated at the end of our chat, there may be some that she could send you if you cover shipping. So go take advantage of that. It's very generous of her. You can find links, resources, and show notes for this conversation and all the others that I've had at letsgiveadam.com. You can also find different ways to join in on what we're doing by going to letsgiveadam.com or shownotes.letsgiveadam.com to go straight to the show notes. If the Let's Give a Damn podcast is adding value to your life in any way, my one big ask is that you go to Apple Podcasts right now. It takes 45 seconds. I know there are so many people listening right now. Go do it, please. I'll give you a hug. I'll send you a hug. I will call you on the phone and give you a kiss through the phone. That's weird. But I want you to leave a review. It really helps us in so many ways. This podcast 
was edited and mixed by the incredible Chad Snavely in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm truly honored that you choose to spend time with me each week. It means the world to me. And just remember that these stories aren't just for listening. They're meant to inspire you to do and to be. So keep giving so many dams. I love you all. See you next time. <laughs>